Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two. Now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome everybody. Good to have you here. So glad that you're able to join with us. It is February seventh, two thousand twenty twenty two. We've got the Olympics going on. Enjoying that. Feel so badly for the American skier broke her leg as she was coming across. I've done. I've done broke my leg, but I've on the flattest spot where you're going in and you're going down the hill and I messed up my body big time at the flattest easiest spot and so it's just a freak thing but anyway it's fun to be watching the olympics so much going on in the world so much going on with interest rates can't wait to get into that with less bat and jack all the stuff happening with mortgage rates my gosh and uh we're going to be uh, giving an update on update on uh, interest rates we're going to dedicate one of the hot topic segments we got coming up here in a couple of weeks on interest rates are we or is this does everyone need to revise their predictions well, we're going to be looking at that. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. I'm chuckling because I want to do this in a Norwegian accent sometime. Yeah, sure, you betcha. Anyway, I got to, just to break it up. It gets me, you know, do something different here. But anyway, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Anyway, there, I slip a little bit of that in there. So glad to have you with us. And it's sunny here and we're warming up in central texas it's been down in the 20s at night that's cold but uh something that is hot in the hot topic segment we've got richard zerbinski rich zerbinski president chief operating officer at tmc the mortgage collaborative we're talking about some of the things going on there I, we recorded this last week i'm really excited sharing this uh, core recording we're we've got the uh, summer excuse me winter conference coming up in Fountain Blue, Florida. I'll be there and um, talking more about that, but be sure to stay tuned for the Hot Topic segment with Rich and hearing all that's going on within TMC. I want to say thank you to our partners, and um, we're partnered with IndustrySyndicate.com. We're also partnered with DW Consulting. How did you go to our sponsorship page? We have Debbie on a sponsorship program, but she's almost like a partner. She's partnering with me in the consulting side as well. So impressed with what she does. Talk about that in just a minute. But um, also want to say thank you to the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Great industry leader, how they lead our industry, not just an industry leader. They lead our industry, what they're doing with a Mortgage Action Alliance application. We're going to hear from Rob Van Rapport here in just a minute, but do check out the MBA's website. Uh, the Secondary Marketing Conference is another one of the conferences coming up in New York. I was talking to my wife about this, and she goes, are you going? I said, you have to be, you know, show your vax card at any restaurant to get in, and I am not vaccinated. Not against anyone who is, but I'm not, and not planning to. So that may change my travel plans, but I do want to call attention to the Secondary Conference in New York. Also, Astra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution, check out their decisioning. I'm excited. There's decision software product that does great things. So um, mortgage bot, check that out. We got 
Chris Zinga coming up. Uh, Zingo is going to be coming on. He is the America president, president of the Americas for uh, all of Finastra. We're going to have him coming up here in a couple weeks, uh, three, four weeks out uh, for a guest appearance on podcast, the podcast. Again, we had Karen Jenkins talking about programming and how their program, how they uh, are designing their products moving forward. has to do with programming, a lot of great insights in the technology side, what's going on there. Also, we have sponsors, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Again, Mortgage Collaborative is featured on the podcast today. Also, Total Expert, one of our newest sponsors. So excited to be working with Total Expert and uh, all that they have to offer. We're talking more about them and their products, but we just got their agreement in on Friday. So we're, they're official. Total expert. Also, Knowledge Coop does a great job of sharing uh, knowledge within your organization through a learning management system, LMS. Check out knowledgecoop.com, as well as Mobility MMI, their mortgage market intelligence, along with Modix's uh, technology. These two platforms do a great job in helping you recruit. I was just talking to Bobby Nicely over at um, uh, Alcova Mortgage. Uh, give Bobby a shout out, along with uh, the uh, Billy and Rob for their part, his partners in the business at Alcova. But one of the things we talked about is how you can use this tool very effectively to, if you're competing against another loan officer, you want to get some intelligence on them. Yeah. That's another tool, another way of using mobility MMI as well as Modex to find out who is your competition. How much experience do they have versus what you have? You can point out unique differences. I encourage you to check out, these two products, I think you should have both of them, and uh, some have one or the other. I think you should have both of them because they're a great complement to each other. Also, a big thank you to SnapDocs for what they do. They have tools that help you support and implement the e-mortgage technology effectively, and they do that through the SnapDocs e-mortgage quick start program. Check them out. we got the information on our website, as well as Success Kit. Julian Lumpkin does a great job of helping you tell your story. Check out successkit.io. Also go to our website. And then Lenders Toolkit, another one of our new sponsors, does a great job. We're going to be seeing them at the, they're going to be doing a mini user group at the Ellie May, uh, well, the summer conference. My watch is talking to me here. Sorry about that. And uh, so we'll be uh, getting together. Get on our, on, on their website, Lender Toolkit, to see what, how we can connect there. I'll be there with the microphone, the podcast microphone, and we'll be talking to them. Also, Penny Mac. They are a new sponsor. Thrilled to have them here with us. You have to check out the interview that we did with Kim Nichols on November 1st. And you look at what Kimberly is talking about there, all that she is, what they're doing at PennyMac to enter into the, the broker space, into the third-party space. You've got to see their programs. Really innovative, and they're doing some great things. So check out PennyMac, and also check out the interview that we did with Kim. Also, again, DW Consulting, uh, Debbie Wemus does a good job with creating sponsorship, uh, excuse me, is our newest sponsor, but it does a great job of helping you with your LinkedIn profile so it stands out from the competition. Also, finally, I want to say a special thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and Jack for their contributions each and every week. Let's get over to Rob Van Raphorst with the MBA Mortgage Minute. Rob? <laughs> Hi, 
I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Recently, MBA, the Housing Policy Council, and the American Bankers Association submitted a letter to FHA on their proposed changes to the Service and Defects Taxonomy section of FHA's single-family housing policy handbook. The letter expresses conceptual support for FHA's development of the servicing defects taxonomy, but it also emphasizes that the current proposal lacks sufficient specificity to provide the increased clarity and certainty that servicers need to effectively manage FHA servicing risks. The letter makes specific recommendations regarding sources and causes of defects and the need for clear defect severity tiers and appropriate remedies, including for fraud and misrepresentation. And MBA is holding its Servicing Solutions Conference and Expo February 22nd through the 25th in Orlando, Florida. To register, please go to mba.org slash conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job, Rob. Appreciate you getting that in to us each and every week. And uh, check out all of the upcoming conferences there at the MBA website. So if you go to the website, go to conferences and the conventions, you'll see their schedule. I put all of those in my calendar because I'm going to make sure I'm at as many of these as I possibly can. Great job what they do. Also, check out the Mortgage Action Alliance app. If you don't have that, go to the to, to the uh, Play Store or Apple Store and get all signed up. Let's get over to Les Parker with a macro view of the markets. Les? Send the bull to pain and misery in the house of the rising fun. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Recent jobs say the show rages rising and workers returning to work. As a result, the 10-year yield effective objective remains 2.08%. With oil rising on the back of the buck, rates remain on the rise. But the flattening curve and major central banks reducing liquidity slows growth prospects. Consequently, the bear market is subject to the Fed spilling the punch bowl. The only time Fed satisfied is when bonds aren't drunk. These views are my own. Find out when the party's over at tmspotlight.com. Yeah, you need to get signed up with Les Parker's uh, newsletter. I, I was reading it this morning, Les. I know he often accuses me for not reading his newsletter. I was reading it early, first thing early this morning, and looking at what the markets are and trying to get some insights into it. There's some great market intelligence in that piece, and I encourage you to sign up for it. You can sign up for the paid version and get it for free by using the word power. Check it out at tmspotlight.com. Matt Graham's here to give us a live update on the markets. And uh, Matt, you haven't been popular. Everything's throwing, everyone's throwing things at their screens. Look uh, at what's been lately going on. So give us a report. Good to have you here. Yeah, David, how's it going? You said uh, people needed to revise their rate forecasts. Um, I don't make forecasts, but I think that we have been talking quite a bit about the rising rate environment. Uh, I think that still we, and we, by we, I mean collective we, were hoping that the most recent run-up in rates had uh, hit some sort of temporary ceiling at the very least, but clearly it did not last week. And uh, because of that, we need to talk about quadrupeds, aka four-legged animals, in this case, an elephant, and uh, the next one will be revealed shortly. So 
The elephant in the room, David, is the jobs report on Friday. That is the day where yields broke multi-year highs and mortgage rates moved up dang near 4%, depending on the lender. Uh, of course, that's going to vary you know, based on the scenario, but close enough at this point, especially for those second homes, which uh, pricing hits have been implemented. I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Jobs report, uh, hugely stronger than expected. The revisions to the past two months, hugely bigger than expected, sort of. Uh, if you look at these things at face value, the way we normally look at jobs reports, uh, it was a staggering mismatch between expectations and reality. But there was an explanation for that that didn't really get a ton of airtime, and it had to do with the annual benchmark revisions. This is just the Labor Department's way of dialing in the seasonal adjustments and uh, changing things up so that things line up better for the upcoming year. Now, I don't even know where to begin personally. I'm not smart enough. I'm not an economist enough to comment on how COVID may have thrown those revisions out of whack. But what we do know is that uh, the jobs totals, the payroll counts, got revised significantly lower for the middle of 2021. And those jobs were sort of shuffled off to the end of 2021 and now the beginning of 2022. The net effect wasn't huge in terms of the total swing in jobs, but it made it look very huge for the past few months and sort of added to the shock factor uh, that markets were seeing. But I think that it was covered enough that people started to look at other aspects of the jobs report. Unemployment rate, uh, we got a lot of questions on this one because the unemployment rate ticked up by a tenth of a percent, but uh, it was still good news considering the labor force participation rate ticked up three tenths of a percent. Uh, So those are the two that are always sort of presented in tandem. Uh, other subcomponents of unemployment were also painting a rosier picture for the labor market. And uh, last but not least, wages up significantly. And this is what got probably most of the airtime uh, beyond the headline payroll count. And the narrative here is that higher wages are going to stoke the fires of inflation further, and the Fed will have to get even more aggressive than it already has been when it comes to. Uh, pulling back policy, tightening, normalizing the balance sheet and all the rest of it. And indeed, when we looked at Fed funds futures in the immediate wake of the jobs data, they too voiced a bit of uh, confirmation for this. And it was, I think, surprising. I know to me, to some extent, at the very least, but uh, to much of the market, because we really weren't expecting to see such a big move after the jobs report. Um, And so, if we're going to say that it was the jobs report, that elephant in the room that moved markets, we have to narrow it down to two complicating factors. Number one would be this consolidation pattern we've been talking about, these converging lines, a pennant formation, a triangle, call it what you will. We have a descending line and an ascending line resting along the high yields and low yields of the past several weeks. They were soon to converge and yields had sort of been bumping their heads against the ceiling. All they needed was a little push. They got a little push from the jobs report, and then we could say snowball momentum took over. Uh, Stop-loss positions getting taken out, forcing more sales, pushing yield higher, forcing the next potential seller in line to hit their stop-loss levels, and so on and so on. Classic snowball sell-off. It is one explanation that isn't terrible. 
the other is more of a general take, which is the market was infinitely prepared to digest bad jobs news. ADP employment on Wednesday, granted, ADP doesn't always correlate with NFP, as we're painfully aware, um, but there were multiple other employment anecdotes. Uh, a lot of research desks stack up 14 or 15 different sources every month to sort of uh, give a backdrop for the NFP. And this was one of the most negative months I've seen in a long time. Uh, so obviously the revisions changed things, but the fact remained that the market was prepared to brush aside bad jobs news. It wasn't as prepared to do anything with shockingly yeah. good jobs news. So that's the other potential explanation. But we're going to get to the other quadruped now, and that's the dark horse coming up around the outside, mm -hmm. which is Europe. The day before the jobs report, we had two central bank announcements from, uh, well, two separate ones. One of them was from the Bank of England. The other one was from the European Central Bank. Bank of England raised rates, I wouldn't say unexpectedly, but it was not a given. The vote was split five to four. You don't really see that type of division when the Fed votes for policy changes. So just sort of uh, speaks to the fact that it was not a given and it surprised markets. Rates moved up. Then the European Central Bank didn't make an official change in the policy statement, but Christine Lagarde in the post-meeting press conference uh, had some hawkish talk about inflation, saying that it was a big concern for the rest of the council. And then speculation picked up that the ECB could be moving to tighten policy in one of the upcoming meetings. Just to be clear, um, that would involve tapering its bond purchases before it would involve rate hikes. Either way, any move to tighten from the ECB, uh, you know, was, I, I guess it was not expected that they would be so quick to tighten given they had not obliterated the markets with accommodation in the same way the Fed had. Whatever the case may be, European bonds on the week, take a guess as, as far as, let's say, German 10-year yields, Dave, if you had to guess uh, which went higher on the week and by how much between European 10-year yields and U.S. 10-year yields, what would you guess? I'm going to guess U.S. Right. I think everybody would. I would have, too, until I looked yeah. back at this week this morning. And I probably should have been looking more closely last week. But uh, so European Europe, how much more? Almost twice as much. Almost really? 28 bips. Almost 28 Whoa. bips. And U.S. yields 14 and change, mm. um, which is, yeah, I mean, it's a big move. Uh, and you can see the correlation, as always. There's always some level of correlation. But what you see on Thursdays, you see European yields shoot higher significantly. That's where most of the weakness there occurred. And you see U.S. yields hold off right at the ceiling of that consolidation range, as if they're waiting to see, okay, well, we might have some trading strategy to execute after tomorrow's jobs report, so we're just going to sit tight for now and then sort of make up our mind tomorrow. So where I'm getting with this dark horse thing is I think you had some pent-up selling potential yes. uh, yeah. that was going to be unleashed unless jobs were just so shockingly weak that they caused people to say, well, that's too weak even for this, uh, you know, Omicron business. Uh, so anyway, Europe, we're going to keep an eye on it. Yields are at the highest levels in three years. Um, they haven't had as big of a move overall as U.S. yields, but that really is a factor of the Fed and the Fed's bazooka in March 2020. Uh, definitely a shift in sentiment out of Europe. Mm -hmm. So we're at the highest levels in a long time, and this week is pretty calm in terms of scheduled economic data. We have CPI on Thursday. That's the 
only big economic report. And then we can also get a fair amount of information from this week's auction cycle with uh, the three 10 and 30 year treasury auctions on Tuesday through Thursday, respectively. Those get most interesting for the bonds we're interested in uh, on Wednesday and Thursday with 10 and 30 year auctions. Those will be at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. We'll cover them on MBS Live and see what we see in terms of uh, market reaction. That's all I got for this week. Good job. All right, Jack, we always get your take on all of this. Any questions you have for Matt? Well, you know, David, uh, I was actually uh, this morning reading uh, today's release of Fannie Mae's Home Purchase Sentiment Index, and the index dropped uh, 2.4 points to its lowest level since May of 2020. Uh, You know, just a couple quick highlights. Um, As a result, uh, you know, the net share of those who say it's a good time to buy a home decreased 5% uh, month Mm -hmm. over month. Um, The net share of those who say it's a good time to sell decreased 12% month over month. Um, You know, the uh, home purchase sentiment index is is really comprised of about 1,000 respondents surveyed by Fannie Mae. Uh, there was weakness in the uh, younger uh, potential home buyer segment. And, yeah, and, and, yeah, you know, the big driver there, uh, not to, uh, you know, not coming as a surprise to anybody, you know, really is the affordability uh, of, mm-hmm. of homes in the United States. And, you know, that could be a podcast in of itself. Uh, but, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, linking, uh, you know, what Matt just said, rising rates and, you know, uh, and then the uh, home purchase sentiment index, uh, you know, some challenging news today. Yeah, I think there's going to be some, there's so many areas where volatility can come from, unexpected news. And I think that's why you got to have a service like uh, mbslive.net. You got to have it. And Mm -hmm. you can sign up and you get to sign up with for an extended trial period without a credit card by using the in the code uh, sign up code put in lol for liquid on lending matt jack thank you so much matt I, I just love your website there's so much information on here i love how people are responding reacting sometimes it's hilarious sometimes you just want to cry when you look at some of it but <laughs> you do a great job it's real it's live and it's really informative so encourage everyone to sign up appreciate it Let's get over to Alice Alvey. Alice is here with an uh, update on the on what's going on with the legislature, what's moving through. But again, Alice is CMB Vice President of Education and Training at one of our favorite companies out there, Union Home Mortgage, our good friend Bill Cosgrove. And he was smart enough, he and Al were smart enough to bring in Alice. So, Alice, good to have you here. Thanks for your taking time out of your very busy schedule to give us an update. What you got? Um, well, thanks, Dave, and uh, hello, everybody. Well, you know, today I've got a couple of things uh, along the lines of the CFPB and then one Fannie Freddie update. So uh, you may have heard about the conference of – actually, I said CFPB. I should have said Conference of State Bank Supervisors, uh, which is our group of uh, state regulators that manage the national mortgage licensing system. And you may have heard about that there was this collaboration between all the regulators in 42 states that found – 441 MLOs nationwide had 
really fake that they had completed their continuing education. Now, it's a real small number compared to the over 180,000 licensed MLOs there are across the country, but the fact remains is they're still trying to make, they, they made this a big case. And if you think about it, for this group, uh, they haven't published the names. Uh, they have to surrender their license for 90 days. And think about what how you would uh, react to that if everything in your pipeline you now can't get paid for, and mm. then you can't take applications for 90 days because you're no longer licensed. So you essentially have to try and restart your business, which will then be a lag before they get processed and closed. And so I think the the fine and the penalty that goes with this uh, is, you know, starts to feel like, okay, that did, that would hurt somebody, that would have an impact. And I hope just the overall case has an impact to people. I just think it's crazy that they're only asking you to take an eight-hour class and somehow you got to cheat that. You got to cheat if, that. You know, yeah. so <laughs> it just is. It's just such a, a, you know, I don't know. It makes no sense to try and cut that corner, uh, at least from my perspective. So I, I think uh, as folks look at this, uh, it's just a, a heads up as to the consequences that go with having a suspended license, and, and as employers, making sure that Paul is fully aware of how to make sure they're not paying people, not going to pay them later. The, the the act, the SAFE Act, has this really buttoned up to make sure that people aren't trying to circumvent uh, during their non-license period. So just a heads up to everybody out there. You know, it's always a good thing to learn, not a bad thing to tend to continuing education. So uh, that's uh, just a heads up in case you hadn't heard about that. Um, one good news was it does seem like, uh, so Pennsylvania State does look like they're going to be changing and allowing work from home. We hope this happens in all of those brick-and-mortar states that are out there as it really does look like that work-from-home model is going to be something we need to keep for a while. And uh, it's good news to see some of the states getting on board with making that just a permanent fix and not focusing so much on brick-and-mortar. And then last but not least, Fannie and Freddie did loosen up their self-employed guidelines that they had put in place during COVID. We're really happy to see that they are going to stop asking for the bank statements. And this is great. That was one yeah. of the sticking points as a loan officer in particular. You know, you're trying to meet with the borrower, telling them you need the bank statements, and then trying to judge by the deposit and uh, withdrawal flow on whether or not the underwriter is going to think that that matches up with the P&L and the tax returns. Uh, and so it was a real dicey part of the loan application process, and uh, we're all glad to see that piece gone. Uh, some of the other temporary restrictions are still in place, so be sure you go and check out the lender letter and the bulletin. Fannie and Freddie are on the same page with this one, and it's effective immediately. So uh, that's my quick update for today, Dave. Back to you. Excellent job. Yeah, it's a <laughs> Why would you try to skip out with something as simple as an eight hour? But, you know, it's like traffic school. You know, you get a ticket. You go, arg, I got a ticket. I haven't had a ticket in a long time, so I qualify for traffic school. And you go do it. And uh, But, shoot, it's not. It's, it's beneficial. And there's so many things that you're just getting tuned up. I mean, are you a professional? Are you a professional escape artist? Are you a professional in loan originations? Take these classes. That's just amazing. Did they, what was the number, yeah. Alan? Did you give us an actual number of people? That? Yeah, there were 441 loan officers yeah. who are on the list. Got to tell you, knowing loan officers, I do, I'm surprised that list isn't quite a bit bigger. That's yeah, good. All I guess right. that's so, up for debate on the benefits yeah, of publishing the list or not. Yeah. Well, maybe 441 out of 180,000, you may raise a good point. That's yeah. Still, we got the vast majority of people complying. It's good. Comply. Manage these people. Manage them, folks. 
Yes. You, you, you guys do a great job of that up there. Very good, Alice. Thank you. Checking the, uh, the screens as what's coming in as far as questions for you. Other than just you got love Alice's update so much. Listen to it all the time. Again, we tell you, you can go to the website, look at on lending, and you can go to the website and read all of Alice's or all of any one of each one of our regular contributors, um, what they've said, and just go through each one of them. They're listed out separately. Our team, our podcast team, Nikki and Paul, do a great job of separating them out so you can go back and binge on Alice. Binge on Alice. Binge on Alan. Binge on Matt. Oh, good, good fun. I like binging on Alice. All right, Alice, good job. Appreciate it so much. Alan, right, kiss you. Too. You bet. You have a great one. Say hi to Al and Bill and everyone, the whole team there. Appreciate them lending you to us so generously each week. Alan Pollock is here with the tech update. Alan, how are you doing, friend? Oh, I am doing great. Good to talk to you again and everyone listening. How's your weekend? Good. Yeah. I, you know what? Great. I'm, I'm playing Mr. I'm playing nursemaid to my wife. We had dental surgery and a lot of it. So she's been down for the count. And so I'm having to do the grocery uh, store. I got to tell you, Alan, there's got to be better technology and ordering, doing groceries. I mean, it's come a long ways, but man, how many trips to the, to the, to the, well, they, they do have nurse. that. And that's one of the hottest spots in tech right now. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of contention between companies that don't want to pay the fees that these companies are charging to get the customers and then the folks are trying to do it on their own. But there's a whole article about um, HelloFresh, actually, which is not directly delivery from the grocery store, but it's a little bit of a different, but how they're killing it in the market today with the competition. And then you also have Publix and Walmart and others are doing direct delivery. So it may not be in Texas, David, or where you're at, but it is a uh, hot spot right now. Mm Mm-hmm. I can understand. But let's After move on. A third trip. About, uh, yeah, move on. Move on. How about closing a loan in 25 days? So I put an offer on the house this weekend. I've been trying. Uh, there was eight bids total. Um, mm-hmm. And my realtor said, hey, we got to make this deal more attractive. And she said, can you close the loan in 25 days? Because that will be more attractive to the seller. And I spoke with my mortgage guy, and he's like, we can, but we're not in control of everything. And so – Technology doesn't solve all of our problems. And I don't know how many people listening have had your borrowers come to you. I, by the way, I changed it to 45 days. I wasn't going to put anyone in an unrealistic time frame. But it's going to bring me to the next part of our segment where we're going to talk about a survey that just went out uh, where 89% of borrowers say the mortgage process remains too challenging. But before we get there, David, I want to just tee off what I'm going to talk about next week because it's such an amazing topic. Next week, we're going to be talking about prototype creation, why it's important to make sure you build a prototype if you're building your tech or you're working with a vendor that's building tech for you, and how important it is for you as a lender to have your own UI designer. So we'll talk about that next week. Absolutely critical topics that people overlook. But let's get into something really interesting. Access lending, David. They are in our industry. Uh, Paul Gigliotti. Uh, started yep. this, and there's a bunch of other people involved. Get this. I, I chatted with him briefly today. They're at their second class of 11 students. So they're a nonprofit, industry-based, you know, mortgage-specific uh, educational system. They, um, their second class of 11 students is about to wrap up their education program and move into a paid internship, which is amazing. Two of the learners that have started, their initial folks, have already been placed with permanent partners, meaning they've gotten jobs after going through the, the, the educational system access. And in the efforts to 
further bridge the gap of education in our industry, mortgage industry, and continue to outreach, um, they have also initiated what they call their FEP, their Satellite Educational Program, which allows fintech and solution providers the ability to empower their team members through education. And that is continued education. But think about all the things that you don't just get from the MBA, right? The MBA has a fantastic continued continued educational program and some things that probably Access will never have. But Access is thinking of all the other areas in our industry that you can go to get additional learning and training. Think about the job opportunities you can get with your extra work from home time, David, that you could have the opportunity to learn more about, right? So mm-hmm. Access is doing some great things. Check them out. Partner with them. They're a great group of people. Next, David, I want to talk about this company called Pathway Homes. They, they're a new rent-to-own startup, and they just committed $750 million into housing. They basically have three products. It's called a Home Start that allows customers to move in with a security deposit due up front. The customer can rent with the option to buy the home when they're ready, all driven by technology. Savings Match, which enables customers to build a down payment while they rent with a deposit of just 2.5% to the home's value and an equity builder, which provides customers with the ability to buy half of a home with 5% down. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail on them. It's not necessarily relevant to all of us on the call today. It's just more ingenuity, ways that we're using technology in our industry to make home ownership more affordable and available to more people. Rents rising, home prices are rising, and mortgage rates are rising. So we've got a trifecta of the perfect storm. They're doing yeah. something industry, inter, inter, interesting about that, and it's potential as a lender, you may want to partner with a company like that because you may not be able to offer somebody a loan right now, but it's a partnership, a long-term relationship that counts. So think about that. Pathway Homes is the company you want to talk to. So, David, this was amazing. Finicity, which is now a MasterCard company, they did a survey. They surveyed the total is about 1,075 consumers. Uh, most of them range from age, ages 18 to 45 years old. Um, they basically said that 89% of these respondents, okay, responded to the survey and said that the loan application is more stressful or as stressful as the home buying experience itself. That's mm. saying a lot. If you think about yeah. the fact that we have all this front-end digital technology, well, get this. Um, they said that they consulted 1,075 people. 72 respondents were surprised or very surprised at the volume of paper that still existed in the play, in the mortgage process. Uh, they also said 12% of respondents indicated that they were uncomfortable during their personal finance data to a lender, so sharing it. So technology could help remove those woes. Only 12%, but that's still a lot. They also said that more than half, 54% of respondents said it took between 30 to 60 days to move from application to the closing table, with 16% saying the process took more than 60 days. So we've got all this great technology, right? We've got the point of sale. We've got the CRM for the drip campaigns. We've got all the right communication and phone calls, and we're doing all the right things, right? But people are still uncomfortable sharing financial data. People still come into this mortgage process thinking that it's going to be the worst experience of their lives, and they Mm -hmm. still are feeling that it takes forever to close their loan. We've got more work to do here. That was a fantastic survey. Remember, only 1,075 people, but if you think of the 72% or the 15% that said that they didn't want to share their financial data, it's actually 12%. That's a lot of people. That is. So those – you consider, look at 5,000 or 10 or 20,000 people, I, I, my guess is those numbers aren't going to fluctuate too much because we're not doing the best we can just yet. 
And it's because we're buying tons of technology solutions and they're not all well integrated and the data is not shared between them and, and we're still evolving as adopting data practices. So anyways, I leave that with everyone to think about it as you talk to your vendors and you think of ways to continue to build your technology. 89% um, of borrowers say the mortgage process remains too challenging. Mm. But David, on a happy note, like you always happy say, note. TGIM, thank God it's, thank God it's Monday. Yes. Let's get some stuff done this week and thanks for listening and we appreciate everyone. Don't forget to check out Access Lending as well. Yeah, that is, uh, that's good. That's good stuff. There's so many new innovative things going on. We're going to be releasing a podcast this week that I want everyone to be paying attention to. Uh, it is one where I caught up with Alan Weiss uh, on this, and it was fascinating what uh, Alan has developed in the way of uh, automated value technology and where things are going and also recognizing trends. So be sure to go to our website and Stay up on all the websites. We're producing more than just one podcast a week. We're going towards producing more than that on a regular, consistent basis. So check out the, the podcast we've got coming up. Alan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You always got great Likewise. stuff. But, yeah, stay warm. Congratulations on buying. Did your home get accepted? Did you get your offer get accepted? Oh, no. No, no. Not even close. Not even Unfortunately. <laughs> Ah, uh, man, it's crazy. My yeah. brother just sold his home up in Bellevue, Washington, and they had what was it, a ridiculous number of offers, and they sold it for three hundred fifty thousand dollars over the asking price, and yeah. it was all cash, and they're closing within uh, in two weeks or less. Uh, just it's like it's a it's yeah. nuts. Well, some markets are just like that. So people are the people offer, are waving. Man. Yep, they're waving yeah. appraisals, waving home inspections. They're buying as is. They're paying cash. It's really unique out there. Yeah, crazy times, crazy, crazy times. All right, friend, have a great week. Thank you, listeners, for being here for the first part of our podcast. For those of you that are live, just stay right here. We're going to continue right on into the podcast and uh, into the Hot topic segment. For those of you listening on a downloaded basis, that ends the weekly mortgage updates, as you've just heard, and we're going to move into the Hot Topic segment. So here you go. Welcome, everybody, to the Licking on Lending Hot Topic. We pre-recorded an interview with Rich Zerbinski. He is President and Chief Operating Officer for the Mortgage Collab Cooperative, Collaborative, excuse me, and it is a co-op uh, that does a great job of bringing lenders and vendors together. They're a sponsor of the podcast. We're going to be talking with Rich, and so just save it all for the interview. I like this guy, and I like what they're doing at TMC, so let's get the update. Rich, what you got? I'm excited to have joining me on the microphone today, Rich Zerbinski is president and chief operating officer for the Mortgage Collaborative. Rich, so good to have you back on with me. Appreciate it. Dave, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And yeah, looking forward to the discussion. Well, I also want to start out by saying congratulations on the success of the Mortgage Collaborative under your leadership. Since you became president and COO of the organization, we're looking at some really tremendous growth, 52 new members in 2021. What do you attribute this to? It's word of mouth. We have no salespeople. We have nobody whose job it is to grow members. I guess I'm the salesperson. Um, I'm kind of the gatekeeper and we're so quality over quantity as well. We are growing very intentionally. So yeah, 52 new members last year with nobody really trying to do it and being selective about who you're adding. It hopefully says that we're providing a lot of value and people are telling their friendly competitors about it. And we love that because members that join that way, uh, they're higher caliber members for us as well. So 
You're doing a great job. We're thrilled to be members and truly value what comes out of this organization as far as creating great content, great support to the lender members as well as vendors. So it's really good. Let's talk about some of the trends. One of the things is in your seat as the president COO, you're seeing trends and themes that are top of mind issues for lenders as we get launched into 2022, sir. Yeah, well, we're seeing the mortgage industry do like a complete 180 in terms of the type of business climate. We've had now close to two years of record production, massive amounts of refinance activity, 30-year fixed rates and the load of mid-twos throughout all of that. And for lenders, it was really just about executing on their pipeline and then managing some of the pandemic-related changes like work from home and some of the changing borrower-related demands that went along with that. And now, as we get into the new year here, we've seen 30-year fixed rates, interest rates in general jump up to their highest levels in over two years, really has choked off refinance, volume has dropped. Lenders are hyper-focused on the future of their business automation, technology partners, M&A, if either growth or in some cases looking to be maybe merged or folded in with another organization, just automation of tasks in general. I think how human the mortgage industry and the mortgage manufacturing process still is, is mind-boggling, really. And the pandemic's had a lot to do with it. It just got so busy two summers ago that lenders were forced to just throw bodies at this thing. And then it just stayed busy. And then we get into 21, it was busier than expected. And it was a defensive environment for lenders that kind of fend off business. And now it's changing to very offensive. Yeah, now we're definitely in an offensive move. Let's follow one of those themes that you mentioned. We're going to get into several of those today. The first one is the work from home. What are you seeing as far as the trend? Is there a desire to get back into the office amongst the TMC members? Or is this become not just a trend, but now is the way we work moving forward? Well, it's all over the board. I will say the last two variants of the pandemic have changed people's minds on this more. But I think that now people just view it a little bit different now, almost two years into the pandemic. And there's some that want to get everybody back in the office. I'd say 10, 15%, maybe 20% that are totally fine with 100% remote, right? And the other... 60, whatever percent, somewhere in the middle, right? They want still some human interaction if it's, you know, hey, the office is open these days or a rotating schedule so you don't have a million people in the office or you bring people in regionally at certain points during the week or the month. So everybody's all over the board with it. It's really changed just the recruiting and retention though dynamic of operational personnel, which that's been a complete change for our industry. Companies can originate in a lot of different states. So recruiting LOs in a different state's always been a thing. But now the way lenders recruit, retain operations folk, it could be anywhere. Yeah, we're seeing a real trend towards a lot of operational people, specifically underwriters, more senior people, which happens to be probably upwards on the age spectrum of the whole spectrum. Not that they're old or anything, but they're saying, I want to work from home. This is a requirement, Al. I really like this, this commute stuff. I'm done with it. This is working real well for me. Your thoughts on what I just said and what are you seeing that in, in certain areas of the operational ranks more so than others? Yeah, absolutely. Underwriters more than any other position, because I think underwriters, that 
that was the one position that had some remoteness to it pre-pandemic. But now, if you're an underwriter, just the nature of the position, it just works well with remote. But more broadly, I think that some of the companies that maybe wanted to bring people back in either full-time or on a hybrid basis, there has been a lot of pushback from staff, not all staff, but a, a decent yeah. percent that have kind of said, like, listen, I need or want to work remote. And if you can't do that for me at ABC Mortgage, no shortage of competitors that I could go work for. So uh, it's changed a lot, the pandemic with our industry. Yeah, we're seeing some trends as far as training. Like, for example, one of the things that I quote so regularly is Malcolm Gladwell when he spoke at the National MBA in San Diego. He says one of the casualties has been the transfer of knowledge that we've seen because when you're working in the same office, there's the sublimable picking up of information, the training. He talked about Bob Woodward. He got to sit next to him, the celebrated famous reporter. He got to sit and watch him as a junior right out of college. And he says, watching his work ethic, I'm not sure I would have picked up on that in any other way. What are some of the trends as relates to training and addressing that? I think it's one area of the industry that lenders in general really struggled with since the pandemic. Training is better done in person. Can you do great remote training? Yes, you can. And there are some great remote training. There's certain things you train people on that's easier to do remote than in person. But all in all, to have humans training humans on parts of the mortgage manufacturing origination process, it's just more effective in person. So on top of that, you had lenders to satiate all the volume in their pipeline. They had to add a lot of people. So it was chaos in 2020. You had some companies trying to bring people in. They were hiring people from all over the country and trying to bring them into wherever their home office was. You had others that were trying to do it remote. You had not enough trainers in the industry to fulfill all this. And it wasn't even like you could pull off non-trainer top-end processors, underwriters, closers to do it because they were so busy. So now I think it's one part of the business that lenders have really rethought over the course of the last year. And the way they train and their training departments are structured a lot different now than they were pre-pandemic. One of the other trends you talked about is mergers and acquisitions. We're certainly seeing a surge in that. And I think there's a natural one where people are aging out. They've had a good run. They've owned their business for a good number of years. And they're at that point where they're saying, hey, it's time to go to pasture, let the next generation. So what do we do with this? Talk about some of the M&A trends that you're seeing is how they're being structured. Any themes that you're seeing there? Yeah. I mean, you just hit on a big one, right? There's a lot of older sole proprietor, independent mortgage bank owners, or maybe co-ownerships or three or four people own the company and they've had the two best years of their lives. And yeah. you got a Democratic CFPB that is ramping up the rhetoric. We all remember it was just a lot tougher doing business when Richard Cordray was over that organization. So we're heading into a tough business climate, right? So it, it's natural that you're going to see a lot of that type of M&A and other trends that you're seeing is there's a lot of big companies in our industry that went public. That's kind of a new dynamic for the mortgage industry. There have been a lot of large public companies. And those companies are seeing their originations, obviously, in profits and net profit margin fall. So if you're a public company and answer to shareholders and that all is happening, the natural reaction is to grow and scale. So you're starting to see some of those bigger companies are starting to get more active. And then there's a lot of miscellaneous stuff, like something that just happened, Redfin, real estate company, buying Bay Equity out of California, and talking about numbers and metrics. I know just a lot of our members and a lot of the industry is looking at that one. I think it was, I forget what the numbers were on it, $135 million yeah. and $8.5 a year. So all the 
IMB owners are doing the math and not quite yeah. that simple. Like yeah. uh, athletes, right? Like Fernando Tati signs for eight years and 300 million and the, next, uh, the Bryce Harper is like, okay, I want that plus 5%. Not quite that simple in the mortgage industry, but a lot of people are looking at it that way. No, I think they're looking at that Redfin deal and they're going, wow, uh, if I could get that money. In fact, I was having a conversation with an executive, a guy that's been a client for many, many years. They're not interested in selling, he said. I've got a lot of gas in this tank. And then I mentioned to him the multiple that someone's paying and he goes, um, go ahead and make that introduction. Maybe be willing to hit that bid if that's a, a real number. So it's when you see these kind of valuations, you're astute to bring up the Bay Equity Acquisition by Redfin. I think it's really going to be really interesting what comes in. $135 million, you were right. Just looking at the, the press release on this right now. When you look at some other aspects, new entrants coming in, we're certainly, that's probably because we've done so much of that in the past. We are seeing, Rich, a number of new companies come in and they're well capitalized. $5 million to $15 million capitalization coming in to the industry that haven't been there before. They're taking a very interesting approach and that is being tech-led. In other words, they're foundation of their business model is more technology driven. What are you seeing from TMC's perspective? The same. I mean, I think every time you have one of these cycles, like we're in right now, like, oh, it's been really busy with high margin and a lot of refi for a couple of years. And then the anticipation is volume is going to kind of drop off pretty significantly. My experience, you always see a lot of new entrants come into the market that time for a few different reasons. One, a lot of times people that made gobs of money somewhere else that they're setting up shop and looking to start their own company or do something new. Also, just anytime you have change or volatility in our industry, either at the very high end or the very low end, it just opens up opportunity. So the anticipation is that over the course of the next couple of years, a lot of the smaller lenders are going to be gobbled up into larger lenders. So to me, that opens opportunity because small lenders have a lot of advantages over the biggest lenders. So I think one of our members told me on a call we had the other week that they were just doing some searches on like, I think it was NMLS or something like the number of IMBs that exist today versus like five years ago is like down like 30 or 40%. And that's a number that will only continue to increase. So good time to start a new business right now, especially if you're going to lead it with some sort of impactful differentiating technology, which is clearly where things are going. I mean, the human LO will never go away completely, but the number of automated applications that are fed through lead business that are paid a lower commission, that is only going to go up. Talking about LO compensation, what are you hearing from within TEMC members? We're seeing a margin compression. Certainly there's a lot lot of focus and you look at the single biggest item on anyone's expense PL, uh, the expense side of it is the amount of compensations paid out and specifically the LOs. What are you seeing as trends or anticipating there from your perspective, Rich? Well, it will trickle down. I, I don't think the LO comp never got crazy during these last couple of years. We tracked that through TMC Benchmark and Rich LO comp in our network went up from, I don't know, like 93 basis points to one point. It probably spiked at like 107 or 108 and settled back down around 100. That's a mix of IMBs right. and banks and credit unions, big and small. So it's a pretty significant sample size and I think reflective of the industry. So, but I think it will go down. I, I think that, you know, anytime you have one of these climates where refi is going to go away, niche products like construction and adjustable rate mortgages, that helps depositories. IMB market share, depending on what stat you look at, it's probably 60 
62, 63% right now in America. It's never even been close to that high. And depository market share was that high and higher. You go back 10, 12, 13 years. So I think it'll even out. Things are cyclical. And CLO that's been in an IMB that has valued that employer because of nimbility and maybe tech. And now you look at a depository and you're, hey, you're going to give me a construction product. And you're going to give me good portfolio arm products and some rehab stuff. And Story's just got a little, uh, little wind at their back now. Yep, they certainly do. You touched on something there that's a real value prop for anyone that's a part of TMC, and it's called the benchmarking. Talk about that. Such an amazing thing you guys are doing. Yeah, like everything we do, which is one of many cool things about TMC, it's driven by our members. Our board of directors is comprised of our lender members, so we're managed willingly by our lender members, which gives the members a strong sense of ownership in the organization, creates this pay-it-forward culture. But it was them, like it's like six and a half years ago now, that we're doing our collaboration labs, our kind of intense networking sessions between organizations. And part of that exercise is everybody signs a mutual NDA. We collect a bunch of data. We compile it side by side so companies can see how they compare very specifically against eight to 15 companies, very, very much like them. And we started doing those labs and the lenders immediately were like, I would love to see this monthly as opposed to every six months when we get our lab group together. That was how TMC Benchmark started. So it's a free as part of membership, a monthly data benchmarking tool. It's open from the 5th to the 19th of every month. So it closes. Today we're recording this on the 19th. Part of my to-do list tomorrow will be to go in there and analyze the results and write up an executive summary that gets sent out along with it. So 22nd, 23rd of each month, lenders are sitting on very functional dashboards that show how they compare in all the most critical areas against their whole network, their peer group within it. It's pretty cool. That's an amazing value for me. I think if I was a business owner of a mortgage company, I have owned three mortgage companies in the past, been owner operator of three of them. That value of that data is just so powerful, especially when it comes out monthly. It's real time. Whereas other entities that produce benchmarking data, peer analysis, it's so far in the rear view mirror. It doesn't feel relevant to what's happening today, especially when you look at the dynamic markets. Let's look over to the tech area. You have a unique perspective in it because TMC is a partner with a lot of tech companies. And also, I believe, I don't know if it's, I don't think TMC is making the investment in tech companies, but there's a sister company that does make investments in tech companies. Love to get your perspective on what's got your interest and attention. Yeah. Uh, 14 months ago, we created a fund for our members to buy in as limited partners that reviews and assesses, and if they choose to invest in emerging tech companies. So I've got about 20 lender members of ours that are part of that as limited partners. We've invested in four, three of them were, you know, kind of series A startup mortgage tech companies, and the fourth was a more established company. But it is a big advantage of my job is just being able to see kind of what's behind door number three, what's coming down the pike, the type of tech that people are working on that won't be mainstream for a year or two. And it's just fascinating to see. And then the other side of it is just on the the regular TMC side, a lot of those companies reach out to us and we assess that landscape to bring on the best and the brightest as preferred partners to our network. So I think in general, what's happened with technology in the mortgage industry, because of Dodd-Frank and the Democrat CFPB and other perceptions, technology in general was kind of delayed to the mortgage industry by about three to five years from other similar type industries. Then we started to see great advances six, seven years ago. But it was, it really, a lot of it stemmed with the rocket mortgage, push button, get mortgage, Super Bowl commercial. I, that really was a seminal moment for the mortgage industry. And so much changed from that day forward. And it started to happen after that was 
tech providers really focused on the borrower facing sides of tech, right? The point of sales, the mobile apps, that stuff is great in the mortgage industry. It's very refined, a lot of great opportunities and companies to partner up with there. Now what we're seeing is the rest of the stuff going behind, automation, document recognition, all these next level techs that's being to dehumanize the mortgage manufacturing process and start to make predictive analytics on servicing books and ways to use AI in a bunch of different ways behind the scenes and to operate more strategically. We could go on to that topic forever. There's certainly a lot of M&A going on in that area. It's really interesting. And another compelling reason for someone to become a member of TMC when they realize that that opens up the door for them to become a limited partner in up-and-coming tech companies. And that gives them a unique perspective into what's developing, what's trending. And I think that's really valuable. And we could talk about that forever, but I want to talk a little bit about your upcoming conference in Miami at the Fountain Blue, if I remember correctly, March 19th through the 21st. Talk about what you got on the agenda there. Has the latest round of COVID discouraged that from happening, or are you full steam ahead on that? Yeah, full steam ahead. We're on pace. We had our biggest conference ever back in September at uh, Tyrrhenia in California, 400 people, and yeah, projecting 430 to 450 here in Miami. So yeah. It really, I mean, it's, being honest, had some impact. We probably would have been 450 in Tyrrhenia and probably 500 in Miami. But I think what we saw this past September is we are a very human organization. We do so much virtually, 20 to 30 different virtual sessions a month, our data benchmarking tool and a bunch of other stuff. But it is about relationships and in-person connections and all the just great stuff that happens when we get our members together every six months in person. And really looking forward to Miami. We just released the agenda a few weeks ago, which is up at mortgagecollaborative.com for everybody to see. Again, like everything we do is driven by the members. We do a very comprehensive survey of our members every six months. Went out to, I think, 800 like key decision makers at our 261 wow. lender members. And it takes the, we call it the pulse of the mortgage industry. And the agenda for our conferences is formulated very largely off the results of that survey. So I'm sure you'd be talking about the government policy and the influence that it has on the industry. You mentioned earlier that the headwinds are increasing as a result of the Democratic CFPB. Obviously, that's going to be something of focus on the conference. Any more you want to say about that? It's just interesting what's going on right now. As we saw the White House change, obviously, with it, all the key housing leaders, housing has been very much in the forefront. I remember talking on shows like this and others about how every presidential debate, housing never gets brought up. Housing is so central to the fabric of America, the economy of America. It seems like it is just never makes the top 10 of issues that Americans are concerned about. But you've seen this administration come in and really aggressively talk about housing and start to make some very bold moves on both sides of the ledger. We saw Mark Calabria, who was working to get Fannie and Freddie out from the government thumb, ousted income Sandra Thompson, who we were lucky to have speak at our conference yes. in September. She's coming back again in Miami. Okay. Mark, you know, when you hear her speak, you hear somebody at the head of FHFA that gets the mortgage industry, understands it's important to housing and that housing is important to America and that hearing the voice of mortgage lenders is critical. And so they're going to be doing a lot of things through Fannie and Freddie to help promote and spur home ownership for minorities, people of median to lower income areas that have really been left behind in housing. And at the same time, though, you've got a new Democratic leader of the CFPB that is 
been very aggressive in his rhetoric and making lenders think about a whole host of compliance-related items that they haven't had to think too much about for the last four or five years. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. At the underpinnings of it all is a lack of inventory in America. And my one fear and hope is that the federal government doesn't do things to continue to increase demand by doing what they need to do, opening home ownership to making it easier for different types of people to become homeowners without thinking about that supply side, because it's really a big, huge issue in the industry right now. It's so good that you guys are going to be covering that at the conference. Anything else on the agenda that's going to be showing up? I know that's going to be one of the topics, especially with Sandra coming back. We got Sandra coming back. We just got a confirmation from uh, National Association of Home Builders CEO, Jerry Howard, that's going to come. Oh, wow. We're doing uh, also a couple of really unique signature sessions that we're super excited about. One on Sunday night, the opening day. We're going to do a moderated debate. I'm going to moderate a debate between three really brilliant lender members of ours. One is going to debating the position of everybody in the office work. One is going to be debating the hybrid model. One is going to be debating the completely remote model. So we're going to have a presidential election style debate that lenders will be making their case for why their model is the best. And then we'll be doing the 12 days of TMC virtual event this past December, an in-person event, an in-person version of a session we call the $100,000 hour. So many amazing costs savings ideas that our members share with one another throughout the course of the year and not things that lenders would think about. These are like, oh my God, I didn't know you could do that. Or why have I not been doing that? So we compile them all. We pick the best. And then we have the lenders that submitted them in bite-sized chunks and like little two, three-minute presentations, their cost-saving idea. And in one hour, we show your average size mortgage lender, how they can save $100,000 in a year through these accumulated cost-savings ideas. So just a few of the really unique sessions that we'll be doing in Miami. It's a great conference. You can learn more about it by going to the website, folks. We have a link to that website in our show notes. And uh, Rich, again, for those that may be just listening to this and driving along, pretty easy website to go, but give us the website one more time. Mortgagecollaborative.com. Yeah, check it out, folks. It's a great venue. If you haven't been to the Fountain Blue, that in itself is a good reason to go, but there's so much more value and uh, really meaningful content that will be shared at this conference. I've been there many times, hope to make it this year, and very excited about that. And so I got my flights scheduled. Can't wait to get to see everyone there. I love the in-person part of it and getting everyone together. Yeah, that, that is really interesting that you've got the, the CEO of the National Association of Home Builders going to be speaking there along with Sandra. That's going to give us some really good insights. So kudos to you on doing, again, a great job of leading this organization, the growth in the membership, and the engagement with the membership, creating meaningful content, Rich. It's really excellent. Thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, Dave, all that you've done for us and our network and the great partnership we've had really since the beginning, always a special place in our heart for people that believed in TMC when we were like six members seven, eight years ago. So really appreciate it. And yeah, looking forward to seeing you in person in Miami in a couple months. Yeah, we'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Well, folks, that is a uh, great conference. We're looking forward to being there. And then the speaker lineup is really impressive. So uh, the good news, I wasn't certain when I first started recording that, but if I was going to be able to be there, but I've confirmed I'm going to. And so that is working out. My wife's got some surgery scheduled. That was the only reason I would not make it. But uh, it's working out where she has that's that's surgeries for a few more weeks out. So I'll be there. Looking forward to seeing you all there as well. 
I want to talk about another podcast we'll be releasing this week. It's a podcast interview with Alan Weiss, excuse me, uh, Weiss, and I always mispronounce that, all my apologies. So we have an interview with Alan Weiss, CEO and former co-founder of and CEO of Case Shiller Weiss. Um, if everyone knows about the Case Shiller Report, well, Alan was the one that came up with that idea and approached Dr. Case and Dr. Scheller, Scheller about that. And uh, you'll hear part of that story on the podcast, but did a great job. Very exciting. But today he is co-founder of Weiss Analytics, as well as co-founder and CEO of ValShield. So check out this interview. We'll be releasing it this week. I strongly encourage you to see what's going on there. Jack and I did this interview and, and Jack and I called, called each other right afterwards. And that's one of those wow moments where you go like, wow, is someone thinking ahead of the curve? This is brilliant. Not surprising that Alan, the previous co-founder and CEO of Case Schiller Weiss, came up with what we're going to be talking about in this podcast. Next week, we're going to have Russ Anderson and Jack Nunnery on. Jack's always on, always each week. But Russ is going to be talking to us about an important topic uh, related to managing um, your money and that independent mortgage bankers can learn from what banks do. Jack and Russ work together at Texas Capital Bank, and both have retired, and I'm really excited to have them on next week. And then we'll be having a release. That'll be a part one, part two podcast. Uh, the part two will be released later that week. Looking forward to having you all back here next week. Folks, have a great time uh, in this week. Just manage the cold and deal with it. A special thank you to our sponsors. Again, Penny Mac, Lender Toolkit, Success Kit, SnapDocs, The Mortgage Collaborative, Knowledge Coop, MBA, Modex, Mobility MMI, Accelerate, Lenders One, and Finastra is now our newest sponsor, Total Experts. So great to have them here with us. Thrilled to have all of these sponsors and making this podcast possible. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.